Content not suitable for all ages. Listener discretion advised. tonight's episode of Cryptic Portal. I'm your host Mike, and tonight we will be taking you through some true tales of terror. Real life monsters come in all walks of life. Don't assume that someone with a job requiring trust is in fact trustworthy. Don't expect evil to come at you in obvious form. It doesn't. It hides undercover, and it is often disguised in a pleasant package. Keep your eyes open, and trust your gut. A popular New York City dentist was arrested, accused of meth trafficking and distribution of child pornography. A bizarre duality echoed in additional allegations that the dentist had spoken about his role in underground sex parties, drug-aided sexual assaults, and sex with animals, the New York Times reported. Wolf is well known in the area, not only as a dentist, but as an HIV and AIDS activist, having won a suit in the 1980s allowing him to treat HIV positive patients. The complaint against Wolf accuses him of providing his dental services in exchange for methamphetamine, some of which he would allegedly use and some of which he would allegedly distribute. Wolf is also accused in the complaint of using his office to both view and distribute child pornography, as he allegedly did in a recorded encounter with an undercover FBI agent. In that encounter, Wolf allegedly gave the agent a flash drive containing videos of children as young as toddlers being raped by adult men, according to the statement. The complaint against Wolf also alleges that he is HIV positive and that he told an informant that he had punctured condoms in an intentional attempt to spread the HIV to his sexual partners, according to the New York Times. When reached by phone by the Times, Wolf's brother said he was absolutely floored by the allegations and did not know of any drug or addiction issues his brother may have had. Following his initial appearance in court, Wolf's attorney said that Wolf was woken up at 5 o'clock in the morning and woke up to a day where his life was going to be completely different. These are changes that are very hard to weather, and I think he's understandably shaken, his attorney said. Drug investigations have taken us down dark roads before, but nothing darker than the office practices of Dr. Wolf, said the special agent in charge of the Drug Enforcement Administration. Several of the allegations against Wolf are sourced to a drug dealer arrested at JFK International Airport, who then told officials that he had traded meth for dental work according to the Times. Wolf had also allegedly told the dealer that he was actively involved in underground sex parties at various locations in New York City, including in Brooklyn, where participants would engage in sexual intercourse with animals, 
The dealer then allegedly recorded conversations between him and Wolf in which Wolf discussed, according to the Times, having sex with animals, using and distributing drugs, poking holes in condoms during sex, and in one instance, sexually assaulting a man after drugging him with, quote, a slam of K, end quote. The dealer then reportedly arranged for Wolf to meet with the undercover agent, the dealer's roommate, according to the Times. At a meeting of the three last week, Wolf allegedly said that he used his office basement for sex parties. He also showed about 35 minutes of child porn to the agent. Wolf allegedly said that he drugged both willing and unwilling adults during these parties and that he thought that it would be hot if he and the undercover agent assaulted children together. On March 26, 2019, John Wolf was sentenced in federal court to 121 months in prison. He will also be required to register as a sex offender upon his release. Kermit Gosnell was born on February 9, 1941 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The only child of a gas station operator and a government clerk in an African-American family. He was a student at the city's Central High School from which he graduated in 1959. Gosnell initially attended the University of Pennsylvania, then graduated from Dickinson College with a bachelor's degree. He received his medical degree at the Thomas Jefferson University in 1966. It has been reported that Gosnell spent four decades practicing medicine among the poor, including opening the Mentua Halfway House, a rehab clinic for drug addicts in the impoverished Mattua neighborhood of West Philadelphia and a teen aid program. He became an early proponent of abortion rights in the 1960s and 70s, and in 1972, he returned from a stint in New York City to open up an abortion clinic on Lancaster Avenue in Mantua. Gosnell told the Philadelphia Inquirer in October 1972, quote, as a physician, I am very concerned about the sanctity of life but it is for this precise reason that I provide abortions for women who want and need them." End quote. That same year, Gosnell also performed 15 televised second trimester abortions using an experimental, quote, super coil method invented by Harvey Carman. The coils were inserted into the uterus where they caused irritation leading to the expulsion of the fetus. However, complications from the procedure were reported by nine of the women, with three of these reporting severe complications. The Women's Medical Society was raided on February 18, 2010, under a search warrant by investigators from the FBI and Pennsylvania State Police. The raid was the result of a months-long investigation by the DEA, the Philadelphia Police Department, and the state's dangerous drug offender unit into suspected illegal drug prescription use at the practice. The investigation had also revealed the suspicious death of a 41-year-old refugee from Bhutan in 2009, which had in turn brought to light further information about unsanitary operations, use of untrained staff, and use of powerful drugs without proper medical supervision and control. 
Thus, when the February 2010 raid took place, staff from Pennsylvania's Departments of State and Health also attended, as these issues were under their remit. When the team members entered the clinic, they were appalled, describing it to the grand jury as filthy, deplorable, disgusting, very unsanitary, very outdated, horrendous, and by far the worst that these experienced investigators had ever encountered. There was blood on the floor, a stench of urine filled the air, a flea-infested cat was wandering through the facility, and there were cat feces on the stairs. Semi-conscious women scheduled for abortions were moaning in the waiting room or the recovery room, where they sat on dirty recliners covered with blood-stained blankets. All the women had been sedated by unlicensed staff long before Gosnell arrived at the clinic, and staff members could not accurately state what medications or doses they had administered to the waiting patients. Many of the medications in inventory were past their expiration dates. Surgical procedure rooms were filthy and unsanitary, resembling a bad gas station restroom. Instruments were not sterile. Equipment was rusty and outdated. Oxygen equipment was covered with dust and had not been inspected. The same corroded suction tubing used for abortions was the only tubing available for oral airways if assistance for breathing was needed. Fetal remains were haphazardly stored throughout the clinic, in bags, milk jugs, orange juice cartons, and even in cat food containers. Gosnell admitted to Detective Wood that at least 10 to 20% were probably older than 24 weeks, which is the legal limit. In some instances, surgical incisions had been made at the base of the fetal skulls. The investigators found a row of jars containing just the severed feet of fetuses. In the basement, they discovered medical waste piled high. The intact 19-week fetus delivered by Miss Monger three months earlier was in a freezer. In all, the remains of 45 fetuses were recovered. At least two of them, and probably three, had been viable. Gosnell's license to practice was suspended on February 22, 2010, and these and other findings were presented to a grand jury on May 4th. Public discussion focused on claims of unsanitary conditions and other unacceptable conditions at the practices. Media reports stated that furniture and blankets were stained with blood, that freely roaming cats defecated wherever they pleased, and that non-sterilized equipment was used and reused on patients. According to the grand jury report, patients were given labor-inducing drugs by staff who had no medical training. Once labor began, the patient would be placed on a toilet. After the fetus fell into the toilet, it would be fished out so as not to clog the plumbing. In the recovery room, Patients were seated on dirty recliners covered in blood-stained blankets. Prosecutors alleged that Gosnell had not been certified in either gynecology or obstetrics. The grand jury estimated that his practice took in $10,000 to $15,000 a night of additional income from his exceedingly high level of prescriptions. Gosnell was arrested on January 19, 2011 
five days after the certification of the grand jury's report. He was charged with eight counts of murder. Prosecutors alleged that he killed seven babies born alive by severing their spinal cords with scissors and that he was also responsible for the death in 2009 of one of his patients. Gosnell's wife, Pearl, and eight other suspects were also arrested in connection with the case. The DEA, the FBI, and the Office of the Inspector General also saw a 23-count indictment charging Gosnell and seven members of his former staff with drug conspiracy relating to the practices illegally prescribing highly addictive painkillers and sedatives outside the usual course of professional practice and not for a legitimate medical purpose. The United States Attorney for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania also alleged that Gosnell's former office staff at Women's Medical Society ran a prescription pill mill. From June 2008 through February 18, 2010, Gosnell allegedly engaged in a continuing criminal enterprise by writing and dispensing fraudulent prescriptions for thousands of pills of the frequently abused tablets, Oxycontin, Percocet, and Xanax, and the frequently abused syrups Phenergan and Promethazine with Codeine. Authorities further allege that Gosnell and his staff allowed customers to purchase multiple prescriptions under multiple names. For the first office visit, Gosnell allegedly charged $115, but around December 2009, he allegedly increased the initial office visit fee to $150. Staff at the clinic went from writing several hundred prescriptions for controlled substances per month filled at pharmacies in 2008 to over 2,300 filled at pharmacies in January 2010. Gosnell, with the assistance of his staff, is said to have distributed and dispensed more than 500,000 pills containing oxycodone, more than 400,000 pills containing alprazolam, and more than 19,000 ounces of cough syrup containing codeine. Gosnell's lawyer stated that, quote, Everybody's made him the butcher, this, that, and the other thing without any trial, without anything being exposed to the public, and everybody's found him guilty. That's not right. End quote. He accused the government of a, quote, lynching, and stated, quote, This is a targeted, elitist, and racist prosecution of a doctor who's done nothing but give back to the poor and the people of West Philadelphia. Following his arrest, Gosnell claimed, quote, I'm very close to being destitute, end quote. However, records showed that he and his wife owned at least 17 properties in four states, including a million-dollar house in New Jersey. Cecil Brian Jacobson was an American fertility doctor who used his own sperm to impregnate his patients without informing them. In the 1980s, Jacobson operated a reproductive genetic center in Fairfax County, Virginia. He specialized in treating women who had difficulty getting pregnant or problems carrying a pregnancy to term. One form of treatment was to inject patients before and after conception with a hormone HCG. Patients who had been unable to conceive with other treatments reported success under Jacobson's care. The pregnancies progressed normally through the early stages, 
standard pregnancy tests were positive and patients' bodies began to undergo changes associated with pregnancy. Jacobson performed ultrasounds, identifying a fetus in the grainy image. Around the third month, Jacobson would report that the fetus had died. In fact, these patients were never pregnant, and the bodily changes were a reaction to the HCG. The pregnancy tests were inevitably false positives because the tests determined pregnancy by the presence of HCG. During Jacobson's criminal trial, experts examined the ultrasound photographs and reported that the purported fetuses were actually nearby organs or fecal matter. Nevertheless, other patients were successful in becoming pregnant and having children. While some patients were uncomfortable with Jacobson's manner and began to distrust him, other patients gave him credit for successful treatment. In 1989, suspicious former patients tipped off a local television station, which investigated and reported on the false pregnancies. Jacobson was sued by numerous patients. Federal prosecutors charged Jacobson with perjury for false testimony during the civil proceedings and mail and wire fraud for use of the letters and telephone systems as part of a fraudulent practice. During the course of the criminal investigation, another type of fraud came to light. For a variety of reasons, some patients had arranged to be artificially inseminated with sperm provided by screened, anonymous donors arranged by Jacobson. In order to preserve the anonymity of the donors, Jacobson explained, he identified them in records using code numbers. Only Jacobson was to know their true identities. Investigators found no evidence that any donor program actually existed. Some of Jacobson's patients who had conceived through donor insemination agreed to genetic testing. At least seven instances were identified in which Jacobson was the biological father of the patient's children, including one patient who was supposed to have been inseminated with sperm provided by her husband. DNA tests linked Jacobson to at least 15 such children, and it has been suspected that he fathered as many as 75 children by impregnating patients with his own sperm. Jacobson vigorously denied wrongdoing. He offered these explanations. With regard to the false pregnancy cases, he had believed that the women had actually been pregnant and continued to maintain that some of them really were pregnant. He was well aware that injecting HCG could trigger a false positive on a pregnancy test but thought that the dosage he administered was too low to have that effect. If he misread ultrasound results, that was an honest error. As for the donor insemination, Jacobson maintained that he had in fact relied on anonymous donors as claimed. He acknowledged using his own sperm on some occasions when donors failed to show up when needed and a patient was about to miss a window of opportunity to become pregnant. He could not account for the incident in which his own sperm was used in place of the patient's husband's, other than to suggest cross-contamination in the laboratory. In 1992, Jacobson was convicted to 52 counts of mail fraud, wire fraud, and perjury. He was sentenced to five years in prison and has had his medical license revoked. Jacobson appealed his convictions and sentence, but they are upheld by the Court of Appeals. He later moved to Provo, Utah where he is involved in agricultural research. Harold Frederick Shipman, born January 14, 1946, in Nottingham, England, 
died on January 13, 2004 in Wakefield, was a British doctor and serial killer who murdered about 250 of his patients according to an official inquiry into his crimes. Shipman's murders raised troubling questions about the powers and responsibilities of the medical community in Britain and about the adequacy of procedures for certifying sudden death. Shipman was born into a working-class family in Manchester. A bright child, he became interested in medicine as he watched his mother receive morphine injections to ease the pain she suffered while dying of lung cancer. In 1970, he received a medical degree from Leeds University, and a few years later, he became a general practitioner in Todd Morden and in Lancashire. In 1975, after it was discovered that he had written several fraudulent prescriptions for the opiate pethidine, to which he had become addicted, he was forced out of his practice and into drug rehabilitation. In 1977, Shipman found work as a general practitioner in the town of Hyde, in Greater Manchester, where eventually he gained respectability and developed a thriving practice. In 1998, one of his patients, an 81-year-old woman, was discovered dead in her home only hours after Shipman visited her. Her family was perplexed by the suddenness of her death. She had appeared to be in good health by the fact that her will had been changed to benefit Shipman. In 2000, he was convicted on 15 counts of murder and one count of forgery and sentenced to life in prison. Shipman committed suicide while in prison, hanging himself in his cell. A government inquiry was ordered to determine how many more patients Shipman may have murdered. In 2005, an official report found that he had killed an estimated 250 people beginning in 1971. In most cases, Shipman injected the victim with a lethal dose of the painkiller diamorphine and then signed a death certificate attributing the incident to natural causes. His motives were unclear. Some speculated that Shipman may have been seeking to avenge the death of his mother while others suggested that he was practicing euthanasia, removing from the population older people who might otherwise have become a burden to the healthcare system. A third possibility raised was that he derived pleasure from the knowledge that, as a doctor, he had the power of life or death over his patients, and that killing was the means through which he expressed his power. Despite his forgery of the will of one of his victims, Financial gain appears not to have been a serious motive. One key question that plagued investigators was how such a large number of deaths could have occurred without raising suspicions of foul play. This was all the more baffling because Shipman's patients were normally healthy shortly before their encounters with him. The fact that Shipman took advantage of his patients' trust in him as a doctor made his crimes particularly odious to the public. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Cryptic Portal. Remember to like or follow us so you won't miss any of the new episodes we bring to you every Wednesday. We appreciate your support and ask that you please share and leave us a review. If you have a story you would like featured on an upcoming episode, you can submit to crypticportal at yahoo.com.
images, narration, music and production by Mike and Marvin. Copyright Cryptic Portal 2022.